Hey, welcome back to Pino and Politics Pod. I'm your host, Chris Redford. I'm coming to you from the production room here at Rocky Point Winery up on Lake Erie, where we talk about Ohio politics, national politics, maybe the presidential race, and we also talk about wine. Today, I'm joined by Joe Varden. Joe is a writer for The Athletic, one of the uh, online dailies that we, you can check out if you're interested in sports and other kinds of things. Welcome, Joe. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much uh, as well. Why don't you tell me what The Athletic is so I don't butcher that? Yes. So The Athletic is one of five uh, digital news outlets in the world um, that has at least one million paid subscribers. Uh, we're the last, we're the last um, group to get there. We got there, uh, I think, maybe in September, maybe late August. But yeah, we, we went over a million paid subscribers. We cover um, every major professional and college sport in the United States. And we also have branched out into uh, Great Britain uh, with the Premier League there. Um, and we are slowly uh, glowing, uh, growing a across the globe, uh, getting into various soccer leagues, um, coverage, and, and, uh, and doing that. So um, I've been there for two years, and it's, it's been a tremendous experience. And who owns the athletic? Is it subscriber base, but who owns it? Um, so it, it, uh, there are two founders, um, uh, Adam Hansman, who's actually from Cincinnati, and Alex Mather, who's from uh, the Philly uh, region. They, they started this. They both come from, um, from tech and from startup, you know, VC startup uh, worlds in uh, the San Francisco area. And um, we're still private as of now. And uh, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, VC funding that went into us um, to get us off the ground. So, and, and, and why is this, how is this different? Obviously it's not print, but how is it that uh, sporting news, for instance, uh, does not compete against you online? Or maybe they do. Yeah, I mean, no, I think, you know, I, I mean, I think we consider our um, competition to be ESPN, um, like a, you know, Bleacher Report and Yahoo Sports to a degree, um, some of the maybe the biggest dailies, newspapers to a degree. We're, we like to uh, call ourselves, I guess, maybe the, the Netflix of, of sports journalism. You know, we have over 500 reporters and and we offer so much every day at a low price that there, there's like um kind of like with netflix like there's one fee you pay and then you have access to absolutely everything so if you pay for, if you pay to, to read a, a joe varden nba story you can get everything that we do on notre dame uh everything on the indians and and just you know any anything you want so i think that's the best way to say it and when you post something on Twitter, you, you, you post uh, your latest, you're breaking a story about LeBron James, and, uh, and you provide the link. Do you hear us swearing at you when we can't get beyond the paywall? Do you hear that noise coming at you across the country? You hear that. Um, and also now, I mean, gosh, LeBron is such a lightning rod. And I do, you know, he, covering him is how I've gotten this far in the NBA for sure. Um, and, and I'm still writing about him and, and, um, gosh, he's, he just, people either love him or they really don't. And so my Twitter feed gets just chock full of, of either praise or vitriol every time there's a, a LeBron story. 
Well, you know, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, those are great formats for getting honest uh, and decent uh, takes all across the country. I want to thank Joe Varden for joining us. He's a writer for The Athletic, and we're going to talk a little bit about Ohio politics, some about wine. I'm going to enjoy for the next half an hour or so, a Charles and Charles Rosé, 2018 vintage. Charles and Charles is a collaboration between two winemakers based out on the West Coast. And this rosé, uh, which is a Syrah uh, Cabernet base, is, is terrific. Slightly creamy. I, I don't like a I don't like a rosé that's that's too creamy. Uh, I like it really crisp. And th this is a nice balance. Uh, great great aftertaste. Uh, a tangy finish. I'm I'm really enjoying it. What are you going to have, Joe? So. First of all, um, I have enjoyed uh, Rocky Point um, Pinot. Um, as you know, if your listeners don't know, but, but my uh, my uh, in-laws uh, made their way out to your uh, bed and bed and breakfast and brought me home some of the wine, actually having no idea um, of the relationship between the owner of the, uh, of the bed and breakfast and their son-in-law. This was by chance. And I'm like, oh my God, this is Chris Redfern's stuff. And, um, and they're, you know, big into democratic politics themselves. So it was, it was fun. Um, so that was delicious. But today I'm having um, what I say is the best kept secret uh, at Trader Joe's. It's called La Finca. And it's a Malbec, um, and it's delicious. It's something I stumbled into, I think, in 2016. And it became the, uh, the wine of choice on the Cavs beat in those days when there were three uh, people all the same age, best friends, basically traveling around the world uh, following LeBron. And, um, yeah, I, you can get it for, in Ohio for, like, maybe $5.99 a bottle. Uh, if you're out in, in San Francisco, it's actually – Two ninety nine a bottle at, at Trader Joe's, and you will not believe it when you open it. It's delicious. You will not believe it it's because it's two ninety nine, and That's it, correct. It's, it's great for a Malbec. It's, it's great. Well, you know, Trader Joe's has made a name for itself for a lot of things. One of them is affordable wines, and affordable wines that are great, actually. Uh, and I shouldn't even say actually; they're they're great wines. But imagine the producer who's got to sell wine at two ninety nine, and the margins for he or she. Uh, so that they can survive, how much wine they have to produce, uh, not just to keep you uh, satiated, but also to uh, to to provide for all those those uh, those uh, customers that come in looking for those two ninety nine dollar bottles. I want to I want to thank you for joining us, Joe. Joe, what did you do before you came to uh, to the athletic? Well, uh, the, my. I've, I've had a million jobs in this, in, in journalism and a uh, really unique career. And, and obviously there's a reason um, that you're having me on that doesn't have to do necessarily with the athletic, but my immediate job before that was um, I covered the cast for the Cleveland Plain Dealer in cleveland.com. I was the beat writer there for the entirety of, of uh, LeBron's second stint in Cleveland um, and, and then um, prior to that is uh, <laughs> I was doing state and national politics at the Columbus Dispatch. And before that, um, similar thing at the Toledo Blade. So, um, you know, just kind of a career that's kind of winded all the way around. But yeah, the, the, the two biggies um, pr prior to the athletic were Cavs for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer and then um, state and national politics at the, at the Dispatch.
when you just came from well, the so-called bubble down in Orlando, where you wrote about the NBA playoffs, um, the end of the season and the playoffs, and of course the Los Angeles Lakers winning and LeBron achieving his fourth world championship for what, three different teams. That's right. Cavs, the Cavs in 2016, Miami Heat, a couple of times prior to that, and now the Los Angeles Lakers. You had a chance to interview LeBron, of course, as part of the gaggle. Did you imp- interview him one-on-one at any time after he won the championship? After he won the championship, no, uh, because my bubble stint ended um, September 4th. The way we wanted to do it was they sent me for the first eight weeks. Uh, I was supposed to be there for training camp, preseason, regular season, and the first round. Um, and then I was uh, subbed out for another one of our national guys. And we actually had two people that, that came in my place. Um, so I didn't get to talk to LeBron after he won. I did spend some time with him um, alone uh, before I left. There were a couple different times that, that we got to talk, um, including, and this was, uh, this has everything to do with, with politics. Um, you know, the, the league almost shut down. Um, on August 26th, uh, because of the Bucks, um, the Bucks staged a protest and things spiraled quickly. And at, at the time, um, LeBron was seriously considering going home, just calling it uh, after everything that had happened. And so, a few days after that, after one of his after their playoff game, um, he and I got a chance to talk about that, and he told me exclusively. Um, that he went to bed that Wednesday night thinking that he was going to go home, that it was over, um, and that sort of how he woke up Thursday with the plan um, to, to, to stay and sort of why he wanted to leave. And he, you know, he had talked to, to Brock and had talked to his advisors and was just kind of looking for a path forward. And, and yeah, so that, that was the last uh, personal conversation I had. With and that was, that was over the phone or was that in person? It was in person. I mean, it, it's funny, Chris, um, when the NBA, when, when you, um, when they said, okay, we're going to do this bubble and here's how many slots there are for reporters and you had to apply for credentials. And then there was a big meeting right after the credentials were approved for the, the 12 or however many reporters were there. And, um, they were telling us how there's not going to be access that you're used to. Like you're going to get a great seat. You're going to get the report on history, but when it comes to what you're used to, as far as talking to players, it's not going to be the same. And they didn't, they didn't know this at the time, but that was totally wrong. Um, That there was great uh, access to these guys if you had relationships with them. And so for LeBron, um, having known him for so long, you know, I could, I could wait for him as he's walking away from his gaggle, um, and waiting for Anthony Davis and uh, you know I did that 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 night that Saturday night and yeah he was more than happy to tell me all this stuff and so when when he shares with you his his uh, or, and rightly so correctly so in my opinion his discontent with with uh, with the latest uh, tragedy and, and we can't even characterize it as the latest because it seems to diminish it uh, when when someone uh, in, in African American is is killed, and in in this case NBA players want to react and they want to react forcefully and send a message, the Milwaukee Bucks because of uh, Wisconsin being the location of that shooting, kind of led 
in terms of what we as the players group beyond Milwaukee, uh, the Bucks, but the entire NBA community, what they were going to do. But LeBron, at least from the outside, seemed to have inserted himself in the middle as if his opinion mattered the most. Because he is, uh, we, we know Jerry West is the logo of the NBA, but for all intents and purposes, the last decade, it's been LeBron James mm -hmm. that has been the face of the NBA. And so at least from afar, and, and reading the three or four sentences I could get to before the paywall kicked in, my sense was LeBron said, we ought to step back, we ought to go home, and we ought to think about this longer. And the Bucks said, no, we're going to protest, but we're going to come back and play. And that kind of took the air out of LeBron's uh, reaction. No? Well, I think you've got some, I think you've got a lot of it. Um, the, there, a, a lot of, of sort of what the way LeBron reacted and, and why um, I think you're, I think you're, you've hit. What his issue was, it, it, it was not in the action itself. Like it was not that, um, that the Bucks who are from Milwaukee reacted so strongly and felt so as badly as they did about this Jacob Blake shooting, which was in a suburb like 40 minutes away or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just another thing that had happened in this summer of total unrest and, and, you know, just outrageous um, violence, uh, you know, t towards African-Americans like from police and, um, so yes, all that is is fine. Where LeBron's issue was is that is that the Bucks did something that had never been done before, never, which was like they tried to forfeit a game and and otherwise like didn't didn't show up to play this game, um, which which then begged the question of okay, well how do you get back into playing? Like how do you come back? Right. And there was no answer. And this is an $8 billion industry. Yes. It's, it's eight, it's $8 billion. And you could, you could rightfully argue that, that what the bucks did without having talked to anybody else about it, um, having not informed anybody about it and not really knowing what they wanted to accomplish at the time, like that frustrated LeBron because without a path coming back to play, like there wasn't sort of a, there wasn't a goal. There wasn't an end goal. And there was just this idea of, okay, like, what are we going to do now? Like, if there's no answer, like this bubble life is too hard. Like, and if, if you don't have a sort of a plan to get us back on the floor, like I, I may just leave. Um, and, and I think that, that was it. And it was sort of through, you know, the players talking Wednesday night and into Thursday where LeBron kind of came back and, and had these ideas about, okay, like we should do this, this, and this, um, as far as like, uh, the players in the league in general is, is sort of, is how he felt more comfortable coming back. How far away were we from losing a season? Yeah. I mean, if LeBron decides, if LeBron wakes up Thursday and says, yeah, I'm not playing. Cause, I mean, cause the Lakers, like, Lakers stop playing. I think so. And, and then, and Udonis Haslam of the heat brought this up Wednesday night when he was telling everyone, look, I'm, I'm, I think I'm out of here. Haslam says, listen, 
LeBron, like, if you go home, we can't play. Right. Because it, it delegitimizes everything. That's like, right. What's the point? Right. You. Exactly yeah. right. So, yeah, I think we were closer than <laughs> – certainly too close for comfort. And it's an $8 billion business, which means 10 years from now, it's a $50 billion business, probably more. And it's a global business right now, even with uh, the challenges the NBA had with, with China and how, how one responds to, to serious and, and real concerns about human rights abuses in China. It's real. 10 years from now, it's global beyond just uh, 40 countries. It's really across the world. And the person who controls this industry is LeBron James from Akron, Ohio. Yeah, there's, I mean, certainly now, and, and as you said, for the last however many years, and he's not done. I mean, he's still the face of the league. And, um, you know, you brought up China. I mean, he was in the middle of that as well. Uh, the Lakers and Nets were caught over there at the, at the time. And then he came home and, and said, prob- I mean, probably one of the, the biggest mistakes that he's made in terms of things he says about stuff. He really, he, he, he made a mistake there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, basketball is how he's able to do all the other things that he does. And the same is true for every player. Like without basketball, you don't have the, the bully pulpit or the microphone or the megaphone that, that you have right now. So basketball is, is how they, they accomplish everything they want to do. Go ahead and pour yourself a glass of Malbec. I'm going to talk a little bit about not just LeBron James, but uh, Brad Sellers or Larry Nance Jr. or any number of uh, NBA past and present players. Um, Barkley, Charles Barkley, and and the Shaq. The fact that Shaq had not voted until this cycle. He's 48 years old. I think he's 48 years old, and admitted um, that he had not voted uh, until until this particular cycle in 2000 and oh uh, a few years ago. I think it may have been 2012. LeBron James was at the then Q and uh, he was speaking at a get out the vote rally and there were probably 15,000 people and he was joined by Mm Jay-Z and and me. And so I appeared on stage and uh, that's quite a thrill. And uh, my God, he is a tall person. (laughs) And, uh, and I since then, having been chairman of the Democratic Party back then, and it was, I, I believe it was the Barack Obama second term cycle, but I was struck by how interested in politics he was. Uh, probably, I, I shouldn't say I was struck because we shouldn't conclude just because somebody's a professional athlete, they're not thinking about a whole bunch of other things. Now, eight years later, Larry Nance almost every day is pushing the Ohio Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, to open up the process and to allow more people to vote to the franchise and, and is doing it in a way that shows that, that Larry is, is so far more uh, involved and has been around voting rights issues that many of us have given him credit or others credit as well. And I'm looking forward to more of those voices speaking up, not just after Donald Trump is defeated this cycle, but in 2022 and 2024, because the Le- LeBron James or the Larry Nance Juniors are going to join Brad Sellers, who was a center for the Cleveland Cavaliers, went to Ohio State by, uh, I think he started at Wisconsin, and now he's mayor of a large suburb in Cuyahoga County. Mm-hmm. And when, when I was in politics, Brad was always mentioned somebody could run statewide. And, and if LeBron James or Larry Nance or any number of popular players who are articulate and smart about these issues chooses to run, not only are they going to be able to raise money, but they have earned media 
uh, gobs of earned media, and they're going to be able to uh, command the stage uh, in a way that uh, you know a county commissioner or a state rep running for the same office may not be able to. What are your, what are your thoughts on kind of that long-winded uh, presentation about uh, those three players? So, yeah, I, I mean, you, well, you, you, you got me thinking about uh, Larry Nance Jr.'s future, and, and he would be, he would be, I think, an, an interesting eventual candidate. Um, like he's, he's a, you know, he comes from a very well-known family in Northeast Ohio with long ties here. Um, he's smart. He can speak. Um, he understands. I think he understands the issues. Um, he's one of my favorite players now on the Cavs to just, you know, stop and, and shoot the bull with um, about anything but basketball sometimes. Um, when it comes to what Larry has done as far as, as, far as pushing Frank LaRose uh, with these ballot drop box, um, with the ballot drop box issue, when he first started tweeting at him, I, I texted Larry to ask him if he knows who Frank LaRose is and who his, who the LaRose family is. And uh, I was going to make a joke like, yeah, the LaRoses have been getting us all drunk in Northeast Ohio for decades. That's right. Um, and he, he, he wrote me right back saying, yeah, our families have been friends for years, which I thought was pretty funny. Like, cause he's given, you know, right. he's given him some help. Right. Um, so I thought that was cute. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's just, uh, it's an interesting thing. Like LeBron, um, Le LeBron has this national group called more than a boat where they are really doing a good job working with, um, states and loca lo localities all over the country getting um, the arenas that are publicly owned to, or, um, to, to become polling places, right? And so, that, so that's been really good. But one of the people that they worked with was Frank Rose. And at the time, Democratic, um, you know, uh, operatives, I guess, uh, in the state and nationally were furious about this. Right. LeBron, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing working with these guys? Like, you know, Frank LaRose worked with Trump and, and I actually reached out to LeBron's guy who's in charge of this, who is actually, his name is uh, Adam Mendelson, who is, um, he, he's definitely way, like he's certainly a Democrat for sure, but his big foray into politics was he was a senior advisor for, for Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, and was his first um, communications director and all that. Yeah. So, um, so Adam no, kind of knows how to, you know, finagle this on both sides. And he was just kind of saying like, this, this is very short sighted, you know, they shouldn't be upset about this. Well, of course, doing a little bit more digging and you think about it, like, you know, LaRose will run for reelection in Ohio, but then after that, he's got his eyes on, you know, the, the U.S. Senate against Sherrod, um, which would be why some, you know, some of our friends on the Democratic side in Ohio may not like LeBron partnering with, with Frank. That's right. Right. Um, LeBron's not looking beyond that. He's looking to open up the franchise. Right. And meanwhile, everybody else thinking, well, Frank LaRose is a, is a veteran, um, good looking guy, smart, comes across as a moderate, even though he's not. And he's going to run for Senate one of these days against uh, arguably one of the more progressive, uh, popular progressives in the country, Sherrod Brown. What do you think of what do you think about that Malbec? Oh, 
Well, listen, like I said, <laughs> I've been drinking X number of bottles of this a week for, <laughs> for years and years. Was there a common area down in the bubble where you guys would sit, other reporters, other journalists, where you could sit and like, you know, as a, as a family, NBA family and, and, and bullshit for, for a little while and have a drink and eat and those kinds of things? So, yeah. So we're tested every day. You're tested every day. Right? The thing that goes down your nose, that test. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it, it, it's two swabs. One hits the backs of your cheeks and a little bit in your throat. And then the second one goes just into the tip of your nose. There's oh, no okay. brain. No brain punch. Right. Okay. So you know every day that you're negative. Um, you're, you're wearing a mask all day. You're washing your hands. There's Purell everywhere. So at night, like you wouldn't be sitting on each other's laps, but right. you could sit from a, in a reasonable distance outside. And we would do that, um, especially like after games, like we would come back late and I would write and, and others would be writing as well. And we would have wine out. Um, and then sometimes you'd be done with work. But yeah, like we, there was lots of wine drinking every night um my cousins like kind of like kind of like you like they, they own a small winery out in california called slog house winery in slog house california and they actually sent me a case um oh, mostly yeah. italian like like that's like that's the grape that they they pursue um but so we drank a lot of that um there at the time and you got your people love this the, there was no access for reporters to a bar which is criminal, you know, we're all adults. Right. And, you know, most reporters are heavy drinkers anyway. And, but the, because of the way it was set up, the players and the reporters were staying on the same, at the same resort. And they didn't want the media to be that close to what players were doing when alcohol was involved. So they said no access to bars for, for you guys. And so they, they, um, so everybody was having wine delivered and they hooked us up with a, like basically a, um, an alcohol wholesaler who would sell us wine or beer or hard alcohol at, at grocery store costs and they would deliver it for free. So that's what we were drinking until I left. And then when I left, obviously like the, the uh, number of teams went from 16 to eight. And certainly by the time it went to four, they decided to open up the bar for all the reporters who were still right. there. Right. Who is your who was your uh, mentor as a as an athletic now an athletic reporter or a sports reporter rather who do you look up to who do you who do you pay attention to and, and somebody who maybe drapes their arm around you and say hey listen Joe this is how you ought to do it well um, I think I mean now you know being 40 years old and having done this since I was 20 like I, I don't like I don't have as much of a mentor now I mean like you know, Brian Windhurst is somebody that I'm very close to still. Um, and, and, you know, somebody that I would certainly bounce things off of. Um, you know, I mean, my, I mean, the, the guy that I always credit other than Brian is, uh, is Dave Murray, who's retired um, out of the, out of Toledo. He's yeah, kind of the guy. Toledo Blade guy. Yeah. Toledo Blade guy, Pulitzer, uh, right. award winner in 97. Um, you know, he kind of showed me how to do this, like how to, ask the right questions and go after all the stuff that I go after. And, um, you know, so he, big, my guy, him and, and Winhurst. What's the biggest, by the way, Winhurst has been to the winery. He's enjoyed himself here a couple, three years ago. 
Okay. Still doesn't follow me on Twitter. Um, <laughs> what's the biggest, what's the biggest story you've, uh, you've scooped on? What's the biggest story you've written? Not just in, in, in sports, maybe politics. Um, that's a, that's, that's great. I mean, cause, um, you know, I'm so plugged into how we do things at the athletic now and how we measure it, measure our success. And so, you know, I could throw you a couple of stories that I've gotten, um, since coming here. Um, I had some big ones when I was covering LeBron for the plane dealer, like whether like having him come back or, or, um, him like telling me about wanting to resign here, like after they won. Um, and, and I had just a number of scoops with him. Um, you know, I think one of the ones that I'm really proud of though, and is, um, when I was working in Columbus and, uh, there was with the creation of jobs, Ohio, and, and, and there were, there were all these lawsuits so that for the listeners who don't know that, uh, the governor at the time, John Kasich had created this privatized economic development agency in the state, but they couldn't fund it the way they wanted to because of, of lawsuits filed. And they wanted to do it by, um, taking all the, the, the taxes from alcohol sales, basically which is just an un, basically, you know, unlimited cash. And so they couldn't get it and they didn't know how they were going to fund it. And, and basically um, I figured out that they were secretly taking money out of the state budget to do that. And when we caught them, they had to pay it all back. Um, so I, thought, I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was, you know, that, that was a good one. I, I, I wrote extensively about, um, the point shaving scandal at the university of Toledo back in those days, that was a big one for me. Um, and you know, I, I know a little bit about that point shaving scandal, similar to a couple of other big stories. There was one in back in the 1960s, very similar uh, on the East coast basketball teams would uh, throw games and, and uh, the, the players were essentially being bribed. Do you think any of that could happen today or does maybe happen today in major sports? So <laughs> I, I had a, uh, um, I mean, this is like you're saying, like the, going all the way back to the '60s. Um, I had an uncle by marriage who. Um, this is one of the reasons you and I are friends because um, we both love Notre Dame, and he uh, he he was a coach at Notre Dame in the '60s and '70s, and then was their announcer on the radio, uh, Tom Pagna, and he used to tell these stories. Tom Pagna was your uncle-in-law. Uh, uncle-in-law, yeah. Wow. And he, yeah, 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 absolutely. The, the victory in there, uh, yeah. in South End, he used to run that. Um, but he, he and his brother, they used to talk and, and, um, they would talk to us while we were all in the room and they would talk about, uh, like in the NFL, like they would, they, like an unnamed quarterback would be like, uh, you know, you know, C58, I'm going to make him a hero and would go out and, and throw the ball right to him. And it would be, because he had money on the game or something like that. And this is in the NFL, like I said, in the, in the sixties and who even knows who they were talking about. Um, so yes, that did happen back in those days. Now uh, you would think it would be rare um, it would, <laughs> because of the, the attention and all that. And, and also because gambling is now, I mean, it's legal. Like you can bet on sports in almost, you know, in most States. Right. Um, and so there's more, certainly more policing involved. My guest the last 35 minutes or so has been Joe Varden. He's a writer with The Athletic, formerly of the Columbus Dispatch, Toledo Blade. 
He is uh, from Ohio, and, and, and you're from Ohio, right, Joe? Uh, uh, the, the three most famous people to be born at, at, at uh, Akron General are, are Steph, Curry, LeBron, and me. Not necessarily yeah. in that order. Not on the same, uh, not in the same year or the same date or anything like that. No, I'm older than both of those. A lot of, a lot of people don't realize Steph Curry was born in Akron, Ohio. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. Because Dell was still playing for the Cavs at the time. Is LeBron James the greatest basketball player you've ever seen? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, well, so that's interesting because I, I am old enough to have seen Michael and seen him in person. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Well, while, you're um, thinking about it, while you're thinking about it, I saw Michael Jordan play at the Cavs. He lost that game the last time he played against the Cavs uh, in Cleveland. He lost that game. I was there. Uh, he was a great, great player, uh, obviously, as well. But, man, would you imagine those two going against each other now in their primes? Wow. I just don't – I mean, Michael couldn't handle LeBron. He's, he's, he's two inches and, I don't know, 50 or 60 pounds heavier than him. Right. Um, so – you know, I mean, like when you're talking peak LeBron, like no one could stop him uh, getting to the rim when he wanted to. And even now it's, it's still difficult. I, I, this is a hard debate. I, I, you know, certainly what LeBron's done now, you said at the top, four championships, three with different teams. That's never been done before. No one's ever led three teams to titles. Uh, you know, the East was harder back when Michael played, but he always had Scotty. And the thing I always say about this is Michael had to quit twice after going to three finals. Like he went to three finals, had to leave. Like the pressure was too much, went to go play baseball. And then he comes back and they go to three more, retires again, done, too much, too much. LeBron went to eight straight finals with the same like outsized – pressure on him he went to eight in a row and nine out of the last ten and he never quit so and he dragged he dragged a cleveland cavaliers team with him that literally had almost no one not (laughs) not to diminish those players but he dragged this team and almost won the championship that's right in in, in 18 i mean they had to trade half the team on the on trade deadline day in february because for various reasons but they literally traded half the roster and they still got to the finals right it's unbelievable uh my guest as i was going to say uh from akron general hospital by way of cleveland joe varden his writer for the athletic and i want to thank you joe for spending the last 35 36 minutes with me pino and politics pod um and as you finish that malbec know this yes uh, We'd be happy to deliver more wine to the bubble next year. God forbid if there is one. We're anywhere else in Ohio at RockyPointWinery.com where we're coming to you, the listeners. And I want to thank you for joining us, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad we could do this. Thanks. Again, I want to thank my guest, Joe Varden at the Pinot and Politics Pod. We'll see you next week here with another great guest from Rocky Point Winery. Cheers.